everybody, and welcome back to the Rumcast. And it's been a while, I know. Uh, this is John uh, down in Miami, and on the line we also have Will, your other host. Will, what's going on? John, it's great to, to hear your voice again. Although, I, I guess I'm in saying that I'm kind of pretending like we haven't communicated at all outside of the podcast. That would be interesting if the only way we communicated was via recorded podcasts. But that would, that would make a, a whole different complexity, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has been a while, and we did want to open up with just letting everyone know, like, I know it's been maybe six, seven, eight weeks, something like that since the last episode. There have been a number of reasons for that. Uh, I know you personally have been moving, which is, I think anyone can relate to that as an experience that can really eat up your time. And also uh, sometimes yes. it can hide your podcasting equipment in the last <laughs> box that you end up opening, <laughs> which may Seriously. have been something that happened. <laughs> oh, no, it was definitely something that happened to my very great frustration. It, we had maybe... I don't know, 100 boxes or so. It was a lot of boxes, I have to say. And um, as we're going through, because of coronavirus and because of everything kind of happening, we didn't have the organizational level that we would usually have when we do a move. Right. Not that we move that often, but uh, in the last five years, maybe you know, two or three times. So we didn't have that organization and mark the boxes and all this stuff. So as we're moving and as we're getting set up and we're going through boxes, I expected, you know, okay, you know, we'll find that in a week or whatever as we keep going through the boxes. Well, a week goes by, nothing. <laughs> and two weeks goes by, nothing. And at this point, I'm like, I'm going to just have to buy a whole new stuff here because I just, we couldn't find just a it. a casualty we were, of the move at that point. Yeah, we were down to like, I don't know, 20 boxes left and I still couldn't find it. And then one day, uh, not too long ago, my wife, she's going through a box, and I hear from across the house, oh! there it is. <laughs> and I go, what? And she goes, come here and give me a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> so she found it and uh, uh, very, very happy to have found it. So we're back in business. Yeah. So that that is one of the factors that that is kind of, you know, delayed us a bit. The other one, and we won't dwell on this too long, but as people know, you work in emergency management for mm -hmm. a major educational institution down yep. there in Miami. And as I'm sure many listeners are aware, things are not trending in the right direction in Miami right now. Um, no, and all the adjustments and preparation that has to be done in response to the virus, a lot of that involves you. So I know you have been working overtime, very long hours doing all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's been a challenge. And um, I don't want to overstate that because, uh, you know, I feel fortunate that we are in a position that, you know, my family is healthy, and we were able to complete our move, as we mentioned, and, and not have any any problems with that. And the new house is great. So we've got a lot going for us. But it's been a challenge with the job and just uh, making sure to uh, get everything in place for the upcoming semester to make sure we do a good job for keeping everybody as safe uh, as possible with with coronavirus being a big thing. And I'm sure that, you know, universities across the nation and across the world are really doing the same thing at this point, too. You know, it's just it, it's an it's a reality that we're all living with. And we're all learning to live with in different ways and uh, figure out how we need to live our daily lives still. But fortunately, there's rum, right? So the podcast goes on. And this episode, um, so we actually we recorded this, I went back and checked, it was the very end of May when we recorded this. Um, yeah. But but fortunately, I think, you know, everything in the interview is is still relevant. It's all, you know, kind of evergreen, as they say. Mm -hmm. And as you've seen from the title on the episode, this is an interview with Kiowa Bryan, whose title, officially unofficial, is Rum Princess at Spearbomb. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about that at the beginning of the interview. But all right, kind of our goal with this episode, John and I, we, we both felt like We've experienced some rum agricole. We know what it is, uh, but we both kind of felt like our experience was a little lacking. We don't feel like we've explored the category as much as, right. you know, um, various types of molasses-based rum. And so we wanted to have someone who has a lot of experience in that category on the show. Kiowa, as I mentioned, uh, works with Spearbomb. They have both uh, Rum Clement and Rum GM in their portfolio, mm -hmm. um, Rum Agricole brands out of Martinique that are very well distributed throughout the United States. And, and we actually and don't forget about St. Lucia Distillers. Exactly. Well. Yeah, I was I was about to point yeah. out like so Spearbomb bought St. Lucia Distillers with, yeah. within the last um, couple of years, I believe. And, you know, obviously 
St. Lucia, St. Lucia distillers. They don't do rum agricole, but they have a variety of great, well-known molasses-based rum brands, Chairman's Reserve, mm-hmm. Admiral Rodney. And uh, we spent so much time focused on agricole that we didn't really talk that much about St. Lucia distillers. Uh, yeah. We mentioned it. Uh, she, she actually teased a little bit of what's to come from St. Lucia distillers at the end of the episode. So if that's more your speed, definitely watch out for that at the end, because there's some really exciting stuff coming out of there. I think we're going to have to do something St. Lucia distillers related soon. Uh, that's um, a must. We've yeah, got to. For sure. it's just, it has just grown as becoming more and more of one of my favorite places that makes rum. And so we, we have to get more more into that St. Lucia at some point. Yeah. And so I think the way we kind of view this episode is it's sort of like rum agricole, not 101, but 201. So yeah. um, if you're looking to... We're to, sophomores. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you're looking to, you know, deepen your knowledge a little bit, Kiowa was, was really great at kind of giving us a, a guided tour of all things rum agricole. So uh, with that said, let's let's dive into the episode. All right, so we are here with Kiowa Bryan, the national brand manager and marketing director at Spearbomb. Kiowa, I, I got those titles right, right? Yes, um, it is such a, a wishwash of various things that I do that I generally just refer to myself to, as the Rum Princess, which is actually on my business card. But with yeah. an H. I, I also I saw that exactly. on Instagram as well, and I, I I was going back and forth between do I go with the Instagram title or the LinkedIn title, and I opted for starting with the LinkedIn title. But I'm glad that we covered the Rum Princess title as well. Cause, yes, I mean who that who wouldn't want that one? I mean, if we're being honest, I am shocked that my LinkedIn is up to date. <laughs> 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 yeah, same here. Uh, that, that was kind of a risk on my part. But on that note, by the way, I do want to start by talking about, you know, your role and what that looks like. I know um, I know you had a, a background prior to this um, in the in the bar world. You know, I, I see a lot of discussion about kind of that whole journey moving from bar to brand and the, you know, the joys, the challenges that come with that. I'm curious what your experience has been like. And also, if you can just kind of tell us what your day to day role looks like now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's changed a bit in the last uh, three months since the pandemic. But yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. No. I um. I've been in the hospitality, food and beverage industry for over twenty years. You know, I, I started as a as a bus girl at a ski resort, so I could get my free ski pass in Vermont and um, <laughs> kind of, strategy. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it works. So that's where I grew up. Um, eventually, I made my way through all of the you know, front of house, some back of house jobs and was a hostess at a, at a bar and restaurant in New Jersey um, when I was 18. And the, one of the bartenders got fired on a Saturday and they threw me behind the bar. And mm-hmm. I guess the rest is kind of history. But <laughs> I moved out to California, to Los Angeles in God, um, 2006, I guess. <laughs> And, um, and, you know, ran bars around Los Angeles for a while. And um, yeah, I was working at this bar on Sunset Strip called The Evely, which is still one of my favorite bars in the country and just a wonderful, beautiful oasis of like indoor outdoor patio loveliness. And that was where I fell in love with rum and did that really hard to do thing of straddling being a brand ambassador and managing a bar at the same time. Um, well, it's is that um, just from was, a, a time commitment standpoint that is difficult, or what? What well, are kind of the challenges with that? Yes, the time commitment standpoint. I was really lucky because I'd been at that place for so long that they were really like really were willing to work with me on mm-hmm. my schedule. But at the same time, I was the first brand ambassador for Rum Agricole in general, but like that my company had ever hired. So my boss Ben Jones, he basically was like finally have somebody else to help me with all this travel. Like, can you go here? Can you go here? Can you uh, help me with this? Uh-huh. Um, so it was definitely a balancing act with the schedule, but additionally, just your your brain having to being split in two in that way. And mm-hmm. like, it's, it's always a balancing act with a smaller brand when you wear a lot of hats in no matter what capacity. There were times where I would have my bartenders send me pictures of the shelves of the liquor room so that I could do the liquor order from a hotel room in another city so that we would have, you know, we would have what we needed to, to get through the weekend for the cocktails that were on the menu. So, you know, I made it through, I would say that was like one of the most challenging balancing acts I have ever done in my life. But uh, I think it was, I think it's, I think it's, I, I suggest it because it's a good way to get your feet wet. Some people absolutely hate the other side of the bar 
and mm. want don't want to leave you know the the late nights and the excitement of that constant interaction and the adrenaline rush when you're seven deep on a Saturday night but um you know I I'm in my late 30s and it was and I love the brand so it was it was time for me and when I had the opportunity I I dove in head first to make that switch. So, um, and now daily, you know, as, as you said, I kind of in the last year took on more of a marketing role as I have been very, very ingrained in the brands and, you know, know them inside and out. And while we are a small company at the same time, if we were to hire, you know, a marketing director that knows nothing about the spirits industry, um, or a social media company, I would have to basically, do the work to teach them everything about the brand and edit every post because right. the information is vital. And so um, I've just taken on a bit more of that responsibility as as well as our national events, um, which there aren't very many right now. Um, they've all <laughs> yeah. been canceled. But yeah, in, in my day-to-day capacity at this point, it's just, it's a lot of virtual um, events instead of events in, in real time, um, doing a lot of education through Zoom and various virtual platforms. I've started an Instagram live Tea Punch Tuesday show every Tuesday and um, just doing a lot of education with the team, managing our social media and trying to drive business to our online e-commerce sites to try and generate business that way because 80% of our business or more is on-premise based. So um, obviously there's not a lot of that right now. So whatever we can do to drive some retail sales is the goal right now. And Kiwi, you mentioned uh, Rum Agricole and Tea Punch. And of course, you're the Rum Princess, and that's the Rum Princess with an H, R-H-U-M. What made you really gravitate towards or fall in love with Rum Agricole as opposed to the other styles of rum out there? Well, um, I would say it was at that job at the Evelie on Sunset Strip that um, I, you know, we had a pretty wonderful rum selection. It wasn't large, but it was a lot of, you know, rums that we all identify with today as being pretty transparent and authentic. We had a couple of rum agricoles and um, my boss at the time, the bar manager, Dave Kuczynski, short, uh, we call him uh, for short D-cups. Um, <laughs> he, a I can right? only hope to have a good nickname like that. It's <laughs> if you don't yeah, have it by what... now, it's probably not going to happen, John. Hey, don't, don't never say never. We it, could all... happen. it could happen, Will. Hey, if, if, if there was a time, now is the time. We've got plenty <laughs> of it right now. So. Your assignment. Um... Excellent. Yeah, Will, get to it. Jay Golds. Uh... Over here. Right on that. <laughs> Um, no, but I, uh, I had worked like a, a brunch shift, I think, or an earlier shift. And um, as a shift drink, Dave made me a tea punch. And granted, this was like six or seven years ago. And I feel like nobody really knew what a tea punch in the bartending community in the US. And a lot mm. of people were putting a lot of crushed ice in it. So it was more of <laughs> yeah. what we call uh, what Lost Lake uh, in Chicago likes to call a, tr- uh, a party girl tea punch. So it's kind <laughs> of like a tea punch on crushed ice, with a little extra lime, a little extra sugar, but really just like kind of knocked my socks off because I was like, this isn't a daiquiri like this tastes totally different but it didn't taste like a caparina it was just like so floral mm-hmm. and pretty and wonderful and it was like the perfect way to just highlight all of the beautiful nuances of agricole and i had seen rum agricole previously i opened up a soho house in west hollywood before that and thought that like the bottle of rum on the back bar that said clement spelled with an h was spelt wrong <laughs> uh, rum spelt and i was like why is it spelt wrong how did they miss um, this Right. Which um, a whole nother long side tangent story we won't get into, but I did come to find realize years, years later, years and years later that during the training of that place in 2010, my boss now, Ben Jones, uh, did a training there and I had just like somehow totally spaced out that he explained that whole story to me. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, at Evelie, I tasted that tea punch. I like was like, this is the, this is, it was like a light bulb went off of my head and I was no other spirit. Like I loved agave spirits. I, I still love agave spirits. I love rum, but this specific rum was like, I, I just wanted to learn everything about it. So I literally like went home and Googled and, and found out about Martinique and, found out who was importing this rum into the US and spent 1600 bucks on a plane ticket to go to Martinique that, you know, Mm. take a week off of work, which was also not, you know, uh, which was a big deal as a bartender, you make cash and, 
you know, spending all that cash, taking off a whole week of work and um, went down to Martinique to learn about this wondrous spirit. And I was hooked. And yeah, I mean, to, to put it lightly, um, I nicely put together a proposal for what my dream job would be, which was to be the West Coast brand ambassador for Rum Clement and Rum GM because they were under the same umbrella. And I I, I got and in touch with Ben Jones and yeah. I sent him that proposal every three months for like a solid year and finally took a meeting with me and hired me. So awesome. You broke them down. Yeah. I did. <laughs> Dude, if you're persistent enough, that's right. Sometimes it pays off. So. Yes. Even as someone like myself, I, I figure I, I, I'm pretty well in the know with all things rum. But for me, agricoles are, I, I'm going to be honest, they're still a bit of a blind spot for me. And I know I'm not the only rum connoisseur out there or in the US or even in the world who maybe feels that way. So what are your suggestions for people like myself who are very aware of what a rum agricole is and the technical differences, but maybe less experienced overall with enjoying them as a category? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you're absolutely not a rum, alone. Um, rum agricole, just the the way rum is spelled seems, you know, foreign, even though everyone in America is very accustomed to Ron, um, right. who is mm-hmm. not uh, the son of Bacardi, Ron de Bacardi. <laughs> it's actually just rum in Spanish. But I totally thought that for a while. Uh, I'm not even going to lie. I was like, man, this Ron is a guy. really popular name. <laughs> <laughs> With all these rum guys, <laughs> they're all it's although, although Ron to Jeremy, that, right, one, that, that, yeah, that one is legit. Yeah. That is the name, yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, it, it is a bit of a blind spot, and it is a foreign flavor profile. If you're especially mostly American, American palate is so mm-hmm. conditioned to drink, uh, you know, like a Puerto Rican style rum or a Cuban style rum, which right. has a lot to do with. Americans going to, you know, Cuba during prohibition and whatnot and embracing the mojito, embracing the rum and coke and embracing the daiquiri. Especially Um, here in Miami for me. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, 1000%. So like to taste this spirit that's so flavorful and so aggressive comparatively is is a bit of a, a turnoff at first. But I honestly, I have a lot more success trying to introduce a Blanc agricole with its grassiness and its fruitiness and its minerality to an, an agave spirit drinker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And when it comes to the aged agricoles, just because they are so dry and obviously like we're not allowed to add any sugar to them um, because of the strict rules that we have in Martinique with production. Mm-hmm. So honestly, it's kind of like an anomaly in that with the aged spirits, I really push them toward your bourbon drinker um, or Armagnac drinker, cognac drinker, whereas the unaged spirits, I really push them toward the agave drinker. Mm. It's almost like a non rum lovers rum oddly <laughs> but if you appreciate cachaca and you you know it is an easy a super easy thing to um ease into and following along with that i think there's also a lot of awareness among rum, rum enthusiasts of the diversity of style of molasses based rums um but on the flip side i think that those rum enthusiasts sometimes tend to lump all of rum agricole and other cane juice based spirits together so i'm also going to wonder how much diversity in style can you find within rum agricole itself? Yeah, I mean, there is quite a bit of diversity within Martinique. Martinique isn't that, I mean, there are very, you know, various islands that technically are allowed to produce rum agricole. You'll find it's because it's such a terroir driven spirit um, and it's all about the sugar cane and different varietals are grown on various, Mm -hmm. in various islands and on various areas of Martinique specifically, depending on, you know, the, the resilience and the, how it will thrive in that environment. Martinique specifically is, is such a unique uh, island in that the, there are multiple different microclimates, even though it's only about 420 square miles. So Mm -hmm. in the North you have, you know, uh, a volcano that has a high elevation um, and produces really like fruity flavor profiles within the sugarcane, even within the various varietals and also like a lot of minerality, but in on the east side of the island um, is, you know, the Atlantic Ocean, which is super aggressive weather, uh, much more wind. This is where a lot of people surf, but it's Mm -hmm. also not where you see like the pretty postcards of the Caribbean Ocean because it's not like just like glass, it's aggressive weather. And that makes for a nice 
salinity factor to be um, present in the rum. So there's, you know, there's, there's just like a lot of different variants that you will find based solely on the sugar cane, but also um, with the yeast that's used. It's really interesting because the majority of rum agricole, especially in Martinique, I mean, in the U.S., we really like our brown spirits. So the majority of rum agricole in the U.S. is it, that's consumed is, is aged. But, right. you know, in France and Martinique, the majority of rum is consumed unaged. So you can really, like, compare and contrast those differences, yeah. um, which, which is really cool. Like a side-by-side -side comparison with rum from every distillery is going to taste vastly different and there's right. stylistic choices that the uh that the distillery makes when they're deciding which varietals to use within that sugar cane and um you know what yeast strains to use and mm -hmm. all of those factors that go into production so and it sounds like there's that then that gives you a lot of room for diversity i know that in Sparabam's portfolio you have the clement distillery as well as the jm and both of those are obviously on martinique as well are those two distilleries fairly far apart on the island or are they close together and use different varietals of cane or? They are quite far apart in terms of the island. Uh, it takes about, uh, GM is, is insanely difficult to get to. It's on the north part of the island. There's one road that goes around JM or that goes around the entire island, around the, um, the outside of the island. And it basically ends at JM. So it's, it's pretty difficult to get to. It takes about an hour mm. and a half to get from wow. um, GM to Clamont. And the, the longest drive from top to bottom of the island is, is two, two and a half hours, depending on traffic, because there's only one road. So if there's like, you know, whatever, if there's a tractor, then it takes you longer. <laughs> yeah, you're done for a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so there are there are vast differences in, um, you know, the terroir specifically. So even without different varietals being used, they, they would taste they, the rums would taste different. But yeah, we do use different varietals at um, at GM than we do at Clement. And honestly, like I would love to wax poetic about how. <laughs> beautiful like the varietals are and how each one is is like a snowflake and tastes totally different and we choose this for this reason but quite honestly and i i think it's true for all of the distilleries um and all of the farmers in martinique you're really trying to grow the sugar cane that will thrive best in that environment um and that will you know produce the most amount of bricks in the environment and the soil that it is given so yeah, we use uh, we use five varietals of sugar cane in uh, Rum GM, which have slightly. We used to only use three varietals of sugar cane. Um, we now use the five varietals of sugar cane. Um, they are uh, Rosso, Red, Blue, Pie, and a, a technical strain of sugar cane from Réunion that is, I believe it's R five seven nine. So it doesn't have a a, a pretty generic name but yeah so those are the varietals we use at at, uh, at GM and then at Clement it actually changes a bit per year um, but right now as of right now we're using four varietals GM is all state grown so we own all of the land that the that the sugarcane is harvested from yeah. whereas Clement all of the sugarcane is harvested from the area around uh, Clement which is in the southeast of Martinique but we mm. do buy from farmers so from year to year the varietals do change depending on who we're buying from. Kyo, I know we, we've made a few references to, you know, kind of rules uh, or production standards that, that govern how uh, rum agricole on Martinique is made. Can, can you pretend for a moment that John and I have never heard of the Martinique AOC and, and tell us what it is and how it works just at a high level? Because I know that can get yeah. really deep in the weeds on a question like oh, that. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, it's um, it's something that everybody thinks is difficult to understand, but it turns mm -hmm. out that everybody has known what the AOC is all along because if you have ever had like a Morbier or a Camembert cheese, um, or if you've ever had champagne on your anniversary, right. um, you are consuming these AOC, which stands for Appellation de Ojon Contrôlé. Um, so I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I usually give people a test at the end. Oh no, really I'm taking notes. <laughs> Can you just that say it one be... more time, please? <laughs> <laughs> that would be rude for me to test people. It would um, be funny though at our me... expense. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it would be. May, you know, we'll see. Okay. We'll see at the end. Um, <laughs> no, but it's a it's a protected designation of origin. So 
Um, when you have champagne or you have more VHEs, um, these are agricultural products that have specific guidelines they have to follow and they have to come from a specific geographic location in order to be deemed worthy the title of that geographic location and really embody the flavor of what they're supposed to taste like within that geographic location. So it's just such it's such a French thing that just makes for such quality agricultural products across the board. Um, and yeah, it's why champagne comes from Champagne, France. And there are a laundry list of guidelines that need mm. to be followed in order to maintain that when you taste champagne, it has a specific flavor profile. It has the little tiny bubbles and you can, you can clearly identify it as champagne because they've followed these rules and it's come from the specific place. Mm -hmm, right. And that is across the board with, with many French agricultural products from chicken to lavender to cheese, right. um, cognac, Armagnac, all these things. So Martinique is, um, an AOC as it is, has an AOC as it is an overseas department of France. And, um, so we have a laundry list of rules that we have to follow in order to be able to put that Martinique on the label. So while the rest of the rum world is fighting over GIs and whatnot, um, we started this discussion, um, <laughs> in, you know, the seventies. You really got it together down, down, yeah. down yeah, Martinique. Exactly. You were doing well, it before it was cool. Well, was they started that discussion in the seventies and it took in, I want to say 1973 and it took them until 1996 to decide to agree on the rules. So, Wow. I don't know. Wow. Um, so in yeah, like 2040, just, yeah. we'll, we'll figure out Barbados yeah. rum is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this rate, well, yeah, it'll take that long anyway. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but I hope that kind of broke it down in an easier yeah. way to understand. I think so. Definitely. And, and clearly it's been successful for a lot of the products that you mentioned, like champagne and other things that are French products. So to what extent do you think that the AOC has also been a part of the success of Martinique's rum? I, I think that it is just like a, a quality status. You never need to, I mean, in Martinique, the locals are going to drink uh, the rum that's made there, you know, regardless, they're so right. proud of the product, but it also right. is just like, it's it's a status symbol you, and a quality symbol. Like as anybody outside of Martinique, when you see Martinique on the label, you know, it's going to be a quality product because you know yeah. how much went into it. Mm. So if you care at all in any capacity about the quality of your spirit, you know, anything about the AOC, you'll look for that quality mark on the label um, yeah. to, to really guide you to know which product to buy. And, you know, of course I push our brands that we own and I love our brands and um, I am so very proud of our brands, but I'm the first to tell you that every single distillery and brand that you see coming from Martinique that has, says AOC Martinique on the label, you know, is going to be a quality product because it has to be. I mean, none of these distilleries could afford to make a product that wasn't approved by the AOC because they'd have to throw it out or, you know, you know, whatever label right. it as non, -A non AOC. So I know well, one of the things we're seeing more and, and more of um, is producers labeling products as agricole that are outside of Martinique and French overseas departments. How do you, what, what is your perspective on that? And what, what impact does that have on the category of rum agricole? Well, I mean, you're, you're opening up a can of worms. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've gone back and forth with this for a while and tried to be really nice about it. Yeah. Um, it all comes it all comes down to the fact that in the U.S., the TTB does not have any regulations on the rum category. There's 33 regulations for the whiskey category. Yep, There's yeah. zero for the rum category. There's no subcategory. There's nothing whatsoever. So the the room for you know doing whatever you want. I I, I know and I know everybody is like trying to say that. Rum isn't the wild west of spirits. Like there's rules in rum. Well, no, in the United States there are no rules. Yeah. So <laughs> if you've read um, if you've read the Federal Code of Regulations, which you're <laughs> referring to, like I actually I made I was working on an article one time and I made a graphic where I, I copy and pasted the the TTB's regulations for whiskey, brandy, and rum, and I put them in three separate columns next to each other. And the the rum regulations, it was literally like one fifteenth the length of whiskey and brandy. Um, and it just, it was like, wow, it was a powerful visual aid. 
Yeah, it's it's like upsetting in many ways. And, you know, there were just when I first started doing this um, and like fell in love with rum agricole, I remember being really excited when St. George came out with an agricole. I also didn't understand the terminology fully. And I was just like, I know I like rum agricole. St. George is a, a product that I really love, you know, yeah, uh, great, overall, great I, I love all of their products. They're coming out with an agricole. This is exciting for me. And it was also like the learning moment that I was like, oh, all of these things don't taste the same. And Mm -hmm. this is not made the same way as it's made in Martinique. And it doesn't mean it's bad, but it should not have the term rum agricole on it because it's, it's, you know, it's misleading and it's not the same thing. It's not made in the same way. You know, there's no way to get sugarcane from the border of Mexico to Northern California and have it be as fresh as any of the sugarcane juice is that's fresh pressed in Martinique and have it taste the same and not have it be somewhat spoiled or whatnot. Right. Um, But if you go over to the, in the EU, they have a very clear definition for um, agricole that it has to be made from sugarcane juice. And this is, you know, not rum agricole, but even using the terminology agricultural rum, which is rum agricole in English. Yeah. Right. um, You cannot, if, if you are going to use that terminology, then you need to distill from sugarcane juice and it has to come from an overseas department of France or Madeira. I don't really understand the Madeira part, but mm. you know, mm-hmm. so I mean, even uh, Haiti is not an overseas department of France. So Haiti could not even legally put rum agricole on their label, even though, you know, they make clear on, which is a similar, it has a bit of that same flavor profile, totally different production. But yeah. some people, you know, when you think Barbancourt, you think, um, and you think like French, and you think rum, you think rum agricole. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't Haiti, why can't Haiti use that terminology? But in the European Union, they can't even use that terminology because these rules have been so well defined. Meanwhile, you know, you come over to America and you can do it's a travesty. Yeah. Um, the, but, I've, seen, know, I've seen products that are, you know, made from uh, like basically crystallized sugar that's that's called evaporated cane juice. And I've seen people put agricole on the label with something like that. Yeah. Do, do, do they uh, sound like Arbery and and Oast? It, it, it does <laughs> rhyme with that. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it might be in the same in the same part of the country as you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's not yeah. the only one, though. I've I've seen. No. More than yeah. One. Yeah. I, I mean, it is it is infuriating, and and it's funny. I was talking today to my team about how I've played nice for so long about it, and at this point, I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I'm over that. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> We'll see what happens there. I do. I will say that there are other AOC categories within the TTB that basically, you know, for cognac or whatnot, it'll just be uh, a disclaimer to see the AOC designation and rules. So what we're trying to, we are currently actively trying, you mm. know, how that process is with the yeah. TTB to, um, mm-hmm. to get some attention there to see if we can make that amendment. I don't know how, what would happen there. Like as far as all of these other American rum agriculture, um, air quoting right now, producers, yeah. um, I don't know what that would mean, what they would have to do if they'd have to switch their labels or whatnot, but you don't see a bunch of domestic European agricole rum agricoles popping up because it's just not allowed. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to circle back to something you mentioned earlier because I one of the things I had on my list to ask you was other than tea punch, what are your favorite ways to convert someone into a rum agricole drinker? And I was surprised because I thought that's what you were going to say the best way was, but I think you said a, a mojito made with rum agricole. Is is that correct? Did I hear that right? Yeah, you did because uh, oftentimes a tea punch is not super approachable because it's so strong and like if you're going to drink it point. traditionally well it doesn't i mean in martinique if you ask for no ice. ice with your tea punch they look at you like you're an american <laughs> which you are so yeah yeah i mean it is it's a little aggressive as like i like to have that stepping stone another thing that i forgot to say which is like actually my now one of my i go between tea punch and um this often is a 50 50 blanc agricole martini with a lemon twist is just like so oh, great. Wow, I'm in. Yeah, I hadn't thought like, about that. It's about the that gin and also in a fifty fifty. I I like to do um I like to do half ounce of dry sherry, half ounce of blanc vermouth, half ounce of dry vermouth, ounce and a half of hundred proof GM. I like to add a bar spoon of Suze if we're getting super particular, and Ooh. then um, a lemon twist is like, yeah, that's my jam right now. 
Yeah. I gotta upgrade I gotta upgrade my, my liquor cabinet. You you said um GM or you said GM and I've always said JM. Obviously, I guess it's just a pronunciation thing, but it, it's a French uh, thing. It's a French thing. Got it. It's J, the letter JM, like we would say, but you pronounce it GM. Yes. So GM room room. I can't even do that R H U M, right? But You're one day I'll get there. yourself, John. <laughs> just say it like an American, everyone else does. JM Rum. Got it. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> so um, one of our recent episodes, um, Will and I talked a bit about how expectations can play heavily into your experience with a type of rum that you're less familiar with or you haven't had experience with yet. What I wanted to ask you along the same lines of what we were just talking about is how do you set up the expectation of someone experiencing a really good rum agricole for them the first time or for newbies? And does that like change depending on like the type of drinker or is it the environment or how do you go about that? Yeah. I mean, as as somebody who, you know, when I was still behind the bar and I was, I was, you know, as I said, on sunset strip. So going through eight cases of vodka a week and vodka sodas, I also had, was getting myself in trouble, but also caught the attention of Ben Jones because I had 12 skews of agricole in this bar on the sunset strip, which was completely asinine. <laughs> but I wanted to taste them all. And I wanted to like challenge myself to introduce them to this clientele that was absolutely not going to have probably ever tasted um, any sort of agricole product before. I, I actually remember at one point, somebody at a table ordered a tea punch and I put a piece of ice in it. And he sent it back and I was so happy that he, he had sent it back for me putting ice in it that I went to the table and hugged him. Awesome. So, You're like, you've uh, passed the test. <laughs> this has never happened before on Sunset Strip. Um, no, but uh, to, to kind of, you really have to like read your your guests. And I guess, I guess that's kind of where the crossover between bartending and working with a brand, um, especially a more obscure category like agricole or, you know, uh, any of the niche agave spirits that are becoming popular right now. Mm -hmm. And I thank them for kind of leading the way with opening people's minds up because luckily now compared to five years ago, five years ago is really, it was, or five or six years ago is really hard to get people to try new things. But I feel like people's minds are expanding with in culinary senses and in, in, in spirit senses. So this process has definitely become easier over the years. Yeah. I mean, it, it all kind of goes back to figuring out what they like and trying to hand curate, you know, a selection of a couple different products that you think that they will like based on what they're into. And, you know, honestly, after doing hundreds and hundreds of consumer tastings and having people come up to the table and, and expect something that's sweet, it's often been a bit of a challenge because, you know, that is the opposite of what we're Mm -hmm. legally even allowed to do. So I don't know. I, I generally, you know, every, every American loves a whiskey or right now, 90% of we're (laughs) really into brown spirits right now. So even within like the whiskey sector, I will ask people what they like, like, do they prefer a bourbon um, or a rye or scotch? And Mm -hmm. if they're into a rye, I will pour them something, you know, that is maybe like JM, uh, GM. Yeah. uh, Gotcha. Um, like a a GM VSOP that is a combination of different oaks so you have some French oak in there and it adds a little bit of spice and the spice is congruent with the spice that you would find in a rye but with a bourbon lover I will you know try and pick something out for them that is something that's a little softer that we age in a, a heavily charred barrel so that they recognize that filtration that comes from a heavy char on an American barrel um, or I'll make it into a whiskey cocktail for them. You know, a, a, a rum old fashioned blow, like a rum agricole fashioned blows people's minds all the time because they just never thought that you could put rum in an old fashioned. Um, mm-hmm. And and like I said before, yeah, a gin drinker or a um, a gin drinker or an agave spirits drinker, like those are the people that I will test out like a neat rum agricole pour to. Um, yeah. But you really just have to. I I think the best way to prepare people for what they're about to experience is to work backwards and make sure they like what you're about to show them by getting to know them and seeing what their tastes are like. Because, yeah, if somebody hates tequila and gin, I'm probably not going to give them like 110 proof GM (laughs) meat to start. 
Right. And, and I, I don't, I'm not huge with my bar experience in terms of going to bars, not being behind a bar. But I do know that every good bar experience I've always had is about half of what's being put in front of me in the glass and half about the conversation. So I, I definitely agree that you're experiencing talking with somebody, finding out what they like, and then that conversation goes back and forth. And that's kind of how you get there. A good bartender and a good person that knows that is going to take it a long way. Yeah, no, I mean, and then obviously like Agricole has a different a different flavor profile. I think I think right. honestly, like rum kind of throws people off in, when they taste it. Um, so, you know, you really want to um, warn them about the intense, like aromatic, grassy, perfumey, fruity sensation that they're going to have. It's not going to be that vanilla Mm-hmm. Um, toffee, coffee, that, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. That that they're familiar with. So it's definitely like a warning process and a learning curve. But yeah, like you said, if if there's a story that goes along with it, I I've found with my you know 15 years behind a bar that especially when I got more into spirits, nobody, my guests never remembered you know how many years this whiskey or rum was aged in what kind of barrel and at what proof it came out at. They always right. remembered like the story of, <laughs> you know, when Mount Pele erupted and there's only one survivor and his name was Louie. And he went on to be- become like a, the, the freak that survived the eruption of Mount Pele and went on to tour with the Barnum and Bailey circus. And here is a cocktail from, or a pour of rum GM from the base of that distillery. And you can taste some of that volcanic soil. They'll never forget that. Story. Right. That's awesome. So. Great point. Um, b- before we go, yeah. I wanted to make sure I know we've we've honestly just talked about like half of you know what Spearbomb does. I know, <laughs> I know. The, there's the I'm whole sorry. S- no 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 and, no, and no, that no. was that was by design. We wanted to yeah. focus on like when John and I were talking about who we wanted to have on. We were like we really need to get someone who knows rum agricole well. Um, and so that's what we really wanted the focus of this to be. But I, I, I'd love to hear just, you know, what, what's kind of happening or coming up soon from the Spirit Mom portfolio that has you excited, whether it's uh, on the agricultural side or the St. Lucia side or or on some side we don't even know about yet. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll just have to do another one of these about St. Lucia side. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's- I will <laughs> confess it's Admiral Rodney's in my glass right now. So. Perfect. Um, Yeah, Admiral Rodney is, um, speaking of Admiral Rodney, we do have, and by the way, everything has kind of been put on hold, as you can probably imagine, um, with everything that's going on. You know, we're really just trying to have the rum that, (laughs) sell the rum that we already have in the US right now. But um, we do have a couple of projects uh, coming into the works right now. One of them that we're working with the TTB on that hopefully will come out at some, I would say probably next year is uh, GM Bitters. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, and they're all, we have have like cocoa uh, plants all around the distillery, and uh, we have two different types of cocoa, so we're making a cocoa bitters with those. Like, these formulas are already in Martinique, but it's just like, it's a headache, as you can probably imagine, with like the formulas and the labeling and whatnot between the AOC and the TTB. It's fun. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, and then additionally, we have a pepper bitter. So like a, a, a hot pepper bitter. Um, nice. If you um, have ever been to Martinique or St. Lucia, you'll see a scotch bottom. Scotch bonnets are everywhere. Yeah. And so um, we have, you know, gardens growing around the distillery with that. We also have a floral bitter uh, made from Atumo flowers, which are uh, a flower that is only in Martinique. It's a uh, uh, sister of ginger, uh, the flower that comes off of a ginger plant. So cool. those three projects are in the works. The The formulas are done. They're great. We're just like uh, waiting on some loose ends. We also have, yeah, so Spira Mom in, we were, it's very confusing because we were Rum Clamont USA for years. And then um, when uh, I would say probably in 2014, we decided to change to House of Agricole because we had Rum GM, we had Clamont. And for a small portion of time, we imported rum demoiseau from Guadalupe. But then, unbeknownst to us, while we were changing our name, um, our umbrella company uh, over Spearbomb, and this is a, another story for another day, but that company is called GBH, and that mm-hmm. is the company overseeing the spirit sector, which is Spearbomb. They purchased St. Lucia Distillers, which, I mean, is just the most wonderful um acquisition that I could ever possibly imagine <laughs> as somebody who is obs- obsessed with agriculture to then, 
you know, that for that to be my my molasses rum to fall in love with yeah. the way I fell in with in love with Agricole rum first um, was pretty remarkable. But um, so we bought St. Lucia Distillers in 2016. So now we have all three distilleries. At St. Lucia Distillers, we have, as you said, Mount Admiral Rodney, we have Bounty Rum, which is the locals rum in St. Lucia. And then we also mm-hmm. have Chairman's Reserve, which is a real just masterpiece of blending. So we are adding a mark to the chairman's line. Mm. Time to be determined probably was supposed to happen in August this year, but who I don't know now. I'm sure that's getting pushed back as well, but it's going to be called Legacy. That sounds special. It is because the entire concept and like innovative way of thinking with St. Lucia Distillers was all a brainchild of the Barnard family. So Dennis Barnard, um, you know, who was at the helm of the distillery when St. Lucia Distillers came to be, um, his son, Lori, was really like a mastermind who was buying up all of, all of the pot stills when the rest of the Caribbean were just throwing them away. Actually, oh, one of wow. our one of our mm. pot stills is from Angostura. They were getting rid of it to make room for their for their column stills. So we have three pot stills that, you know, he just, he wanted to make the most interesting rum. He didn't care about like selling, you know, a ton of rum, even though we do have a column still. Exactly. So um, this is really a tribute. This rum is a tribute to him. Generally, our chairman's reserve original and forgotten cask have, you know, about 12% pot still rum in them. And this is going to have significantly more pot still rum in it. Um, it's also going to have a little bit of sugar cane juice distillate made on a Ooh. pot still um, because that was something that he was really fond of innovating. Um, you know, we had, we have two, two strains of yeast. We have mm-hmm. uh, four, four, three pot stills in one column still. And um, he also, in order to uh, isolate that, that proprietary strain of yeast, he planted sugar cane fields and then decided to, you know, he had these two strains of sugar cane. Why not crush and juice the sugar cane and distill it in the smaller pot stills and add that to the blend as well? So yeah, this is really a tribute to to Lori, and that will be coming out whenever uh, the pandemic is over and everyone gets their <laughs> ish together. <laughs> I, was al- I was already. I'm not. You know, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear on this. I think I've been doing pretty good so far. So very well. Very well. <laughs> Speak your mind. Um, no, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we're all ready for it to be over, but I mean, now I'm even, even more ready for it to be over now that I've found out it's holding up all this wonderful St. Lucian rum. Yeah, right. Well, there's also an Admiral Rodney coming down the, down the pipe, yeah. which you may have seen, uh, in it's in, it's in the European market already, but, uh, yeah, I it's, know. it's pretty, pretty delicious, um, has, yeah, it's, it's a little higher proof. I, I honestly haven't had the finished product, so I don't know everything about it, but it is, yeah, the officer's release and um, a lot of port, it's aged in a port barrel for a significant amount of time and it's a higher proof and it's... I know. I need to get my hands on this. Yeah. I am, uh, as they say in Miami, celoso, which is I'm very jealous of all of them. Well, yeah, me too. If you find a bottle, let me know. I'll, I, I mean, by the way, the, the I was supposed to fly to um, Martinique because we have our, our global, our, ma- our biggest activation of the year is called Tea Punch Cup, and we have it every two years, and it was supposed to be on March 11th, and I was flying out on March 1st, and they canceled Tea Punch Cup, I mean, obviously, for the appropriate reason, but on, like, March 26th, or um, February 26th, and I was like, no, I was supposed uh, to leave on Sunday, it's Tuesday uh, right oh, now. Yeah. Um, so I was going to get my hands on some of, some of many things, but... You know, next year, maybe if we're allowed. Hopefully so. Yeah, we're looking forward now. We're moving forward. Right. For sure. Well, Kiwa, thank you so much. Before we go, um, we always save a little bit of time at the end for an optional fun segment that uh, that John likes to host. Um, so I will let him tell you about that now, and you can decide if, oh no, if you're if you're up for it. <laughs> I'm making it sound way scarier than it actually is. It's very silly. <laughs> so, so Kiwa, um, what we do is we do a kind of a rapid fire, one minute long question round. So these are really, really short questions that generally will will get you short prompts or answers to and we just try to get through as many of these as we can as quickly as possible some of them are good questions uh, about rum and some are a little sillier um, and we try to mix those in between so are you game perfect yeah i'm i'm sure with these quick fire things i usually just forget what my name is but we'll give it (laughs) all right um, okay i'm gonna put a minute on the clock right now and go all right neat or on the rocks neat 
column, pot, or a blend? Uh, blend. Okay, your favorite rum agricole mixed drink? I might uh, be softball. Punch. <laughs> favorite Disney song to belt out in public? Uh, why can't I? The Little Mermaid one. Okay. Oh. Under the Sea? Uh, yes. Yeah, no, not no. Under the Sea. Look at this stuff, doesn't it, Nate? <laughs> there it there is. we go. Yes. Martinique or France? Oh, come on. Um, That's a tough Mar one. Mar Martinique. All right. Star Wars original trilogy, prequels, or new trilogy? Um... Rogue One. Whoa. Okay, I like it. Curveball. All right, the best the best place in Paris to enjoy a rum agricole. Whatever bistro cafe is outdoors and closest to you. All right, true or false? The HMS before the names of the Admiral Rodney releases actually stands for Holy Moly Stromboli. Yes, true. <laughs> the best drink to have while straight binging on all Harry Potter movies in one sitting. Um, you looked at too much of my social media. <laughs> um, it was a tea punch. That's all right. All right, that was fun. Thank you. That was super fun. <laughs> how, how did how did the how have the Harry Potter movies aged? By the way, I wanted to ask you: Were there any standouts, or were there any that you were like, "Whoa, what were they thinking with that one?" Well, I never watched them when they came out. So, oh, wow. um, yeah. So I, I watched the first two and a half, I think, when they came out, and I read the first three books. So when this all started, I was like, "I think this is the time." This is the time to finish and get <laughs> caught up on Harry Potter. I love it. Makes yeah. sense. And quite honestly, because I watched them all in one sitting, I have no idea where one started and one began. But I am a sucker for the Twilight movies. So oh, wow. the one the one that had Rob Pattinson in it sticks out in my mind. So there that you go. That was the fourth one. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I'm... Perfect. Cedric Diggory. Gosh, I know way too much about this. Oh, he plays Cedric my wife's Diggory. Name? I forgot about that. What is his name? It's in my that? wife's fault. Cedric Diggory is right. yeah. Okay, yeah. Cedric. Yeah. That's my wife's champion. fault, not me. She's she's the Harry Potter person. I just I just try to, you know, get to it because I love her so much that right. I want uh -huh. to be interested in all the things she's interested in. That's yep. all. That's all. You know, I'm not a geek, really. I am buying that. <laughs> all right thanks for listening to another episode of the rumcast as always please if you enjoy the show go to apple podcasts wherever you get your podcasts leave a review tell us what you think uh, that's always really helpful. It helps more people find the podcast. Also, huge thank you to Keo O'Brien for coming on the show and sharing so much about everything they're doing at Spirit Bomb with us. Uh, if you want more information about that, check out Spirit Bomb's website at spiritbomb.com. Also, I would recommend following Kiowa on Instagram. She is at Rum Muffin. That is Rum, of course, with an H. With an H. R-H-U-M. Yes, Rum Muffin. Uh, so do that. Check it out. Uh, John, any, any last words before we go? No, I'm just happy to, to we're getting back to things and we're looking forward to putting together some really good episodes moving forward and uh, jumping back on our release bandwagon here. And so we hope that uh, everybody will uh, look for the next episodes to come very soon. Yeah, stay tuned and uh, stay safe, everyone.